Okay, it's 9.30. We're going to go ahead and get started. Welcome all. How's everyone doing this morning? How'd the, confer- how'd the conference go? Good, good. Well, um, I was told I wasn't going to have the board today, um, but I'm actually kind of thankful that I do have it today. Uh, I know I kind of reviled it last time, but uh, I think it's going to actually be very helpful. So uh, we'll just actually dive right in. Uh, first, of course, as always, I want to read from our passage of Scripture, which today, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, is Luke chapter 22. So Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Afterwards, we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. So Luke 22, I told you I was starting on time. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. Sip of coffee. All right, Luke twenty two thirty nine through 46. This is the word of God. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And, and his sweat became like drops of blood, falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we're thankful that we can gather today on your, this Sabbath day. Lord, we're thankful that for the uh, communion of the saints. Lord, we'll th- we're thankful for the corporate gathering of the body. Lord, that we can be taught and learn from your, from your word. Lord, help us to understand these things as we go forward. Help us to understand what's being said here today. Uh, not only from me, but from the pulpit. Lord, prepare us and edify us. Lord, we thank you for... Um, we thank you for, for the mediatorship of the Son, Lord, that he intercedes for us even now as priest, prophet, and king. And Lord, we pray that um, this would indeed prepare us for worship as we go from it. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Okay, so just quickly about these verses. Again, I always have to preface because I'm not claiming to, when I start talking about these verses, to exhaust it or anything like that. But regarding our subject at hand, if you've been following Um, there are some things that I wanted to point out. And really to summarize what I wanted to say about these were we can see, or this is a great example, I think, of one of the natures of Christ, right? If you saw that. I I hope you were kind of honing into that. Um, Of course, we affirm that the, the union of the two natures, but I thought it prudent to point out specifically his humanity here to highlight both of the natures. So if we look at the verses, we see this. We see this. And I'll ask some questions as I go along, so feel free to participate. We see, and he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Okay, I know this is going to sound silly when I say this, but he proceeded. Humans 
proceed and walk, right? I know that seems obvious, but I think that it starts to establish our case a little bit. Um, God is immaterial, or at least the divine is immaterial. And it says the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then directly after that, what does he do? He goes a stone's throw away. He knelt down and began praying. And I'll stop there. He began to pray. Okay. Now let me ask a question. I hope it comes off pretty clear. Does the divine son, the second person of the Trinity eternally, considered in that respect, is it a necessity for him to pray? I promise I'm going somewhere with this. No, it's not. What If God is one mind, one nature, why would he be praying? Follow me so far? Okay, good. And it says he prayed. And he also says, yet not my will, but thine be done. Oh, okay. Um, so, again, humanity highlighted, we would say that God has a single will and a single mind, correct? Okay. But here we say, but here we have, by implication, yet not my will, but thine be done. So we have how many wills going on here? Two. So we have the Father's will and we have the Son's will. Okay. Then it says, an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. I find that interesting. Why would he need strength? Because he's a man. He's human. And being in agony... He was in agony and praying fervently, and sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. Look, this, again, this, this is, for me anyway, or, the, or among a lot of the other verses that highlight Christ's humanity, which is really encouraging, that he was in every way made like us. Um, he really did, I don't want to say despair, that might be the wrong word, he really did um, anticipate with great sorrow going to the cross. He really did. I mean, that, 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 that is something else to me. And, it's, and, then, and, then he, and then he rises from prayer and, and, and tells the disciples to do the same. Now, what does the Son of God have to fear lest he be a man? If he's not a man, I mean. So the point is this. It's difficult, as we've already seen, to properly understand, I think, the text of Scripture, especially verses like these. This text of Scripture, which, by the way, how? appreciate it. Um, well, I, I didn't think I would have the board today, so I was like, as much, as much of a love-hate relationship I have with it, I'm glad that it's here. Anyway, so, so to understand the text of Scripture, especially, especially passages when we're talking about, uh, especially the Gospels, especially when Christ himself is speaking, but many other places too, it's, it's truly hard uh, that if we don't understand or have a good understanding of the union of the two natures, 
how that we can see Christ as both truly human and truly divine. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm not saying that you couldn't arrive at that. I'm just saying when we start doing theology, when we start doing theology, it's very hard to articulate how this makes sense if we don't have a good understanding of it. Okay. So how do we, and, and suffice to say the point is this, how do we preserve or conclude from passages like these, which highlight his humanity, how do we preserve or conclude the deity of Christ then? Okay. And I'm hoping in the Sunday school, not just exclusive to the deity of Christ, building upon what we did last week, we begin to see or to show, and the key word there is begins, okay, uh, to show not only why Christ must be mediator in a substantial way, which we talked about last week, but why it is necessary that he have the union of the two natures to execute his office and why the actions or works that proceed from the person of Christ are built upon that very supposition, the union of the two natures. Okay? All right. I think it would, first, though, before we get into that, do us some good to recount our confession of faith on the relevant passages that pertain to the subject. So if remember, if, 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 if you have one, but it's in chapter 8, in paragraph 2 we had an explication of the union of the two natures. But I'm going to read paragraph 3 and 4 to kind of get us started in this. So it says this, The Lord Jesus in his humane nature, thus united to the divine and the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all the fullness should dwell, to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a surety, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. Paragraph 4. This office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it and underwent the punishment due to us, which we should have borne which we should have borne and suffered, being made, and those are important words to pay attention to, being made sin and a curse for us, enduring most grievous sorrows in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body, was crucified and died and remained in the state of dead, yet saw no corruption. On the third day he arose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered, with which he also ascended into heaven, and there sitteth at the right hand of his Father, making intercession, and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. And what I want us to see, just real quick, I'm not going to write these down, but real quick from these two passages that kind of underlie our, this, this whole Sunday school lesson is what Christ was furnished to do, being the incarnate Lord, okay, and the actions... He did as the incarnate Lord. The actions he did as the incarnate Lord. Especially if you look at paragraph 4, we see that he was what? We see in that verse, if you look closely, we see the office as a prophet, being, priest, and king being implied. Okay, so I hope you see that. Um, now quickly, we said last time that, if you remember, 
it was a theological necessity, or it's theological necessity that Christ possessed both human and divine nature. We've already said that. In order to be qualified for his role as mediator in the first place, right? Right? Everybody on the same page with that? Okay, good. We said that he must have, again, um, I'm going to take credit for this, the metaphysical equipment, a, a coin, a, a, a term I totally coined myself. Um, so if you need to use that, just come see me. I'll give you a, a decent, uh, decent price as it's being trademarked. So, um, but we said that he had the metaphysical equipment, as it were, to be mediator substantially. Okay. This was the first way that we said Christ is, or the person of Christ is mediator. Okay. The second way, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, just a little bit. Again, I said beginning. The second way that he is mediator is in his execution or his acts and exercises of the offices to which he were ordained, which is? Prophet, priest, and king. I don't need to write that down, do I? Okay, good. I mean, I will. Okay. But I think before we actually get into that, uh, I thought it might benefit us just a little more. I know, keeping everyone in suspense, on the why, okay? Now, the why. Why is it that Christ must mediate, and I mean in the sense of the execution of his office, his acts, according to both natures? Why? So... Again, we've already shown and hopefully see why Christ must have both natures in order to be our mediator. However, since it follows that he must be so in order to even execute this office, I think it serves us well to recognize that what we've kind of been doing, um, we've kind of just been accepting the premise that he has to have both natures without really showing the reasons to that. Does that make sense? So in, so in a sense, we've kind of been begging the question, okay? Um, I know we all agree with the statement, which is great. Um, that's good. Um, but we've sort of been begging the question. So I'm hoping we get to the why of that today. And that's kind of the main point. So even in, so I gave you some heretical examples last week, remember? I gave you the example of Arius, Eutyches, Apollinarius, and Nestorius. Um, so even in those examples, though, We've been sort of assuming that they would agree that most that, that, that Christ must have these union of natures in order to serve as mediators and execute his office likewise. And I would probably venture to say, I don't know, but I'd probably venture to say that since we're approaching this from a very distant point in history, um, we're, we're probably not just so smart that that we, would just, we could go up to them and make these arguments and say, see, look, you don't have a mediator. What's the problem? Change your view. Um, the point is, is that I don't think that probably they would necessarily accept what we believe about the necessity of the natures in order for him to serve as mediator and execute his offices likewise. Okay? That makes sense? Okay. So we're, so we're just going to try to prove a little more. So... Building upon what we have learned in this series thus far, I want us to discuss four things, and, I, and here, here I really want you to follow, uh, four things regarding the how Christ works according to these natures. And, this is, and, and I'm going to do some things after this, 
that follow from it. So I'm going to try to connect them. If you have a question, let me know. Um, I'll try to briefly answer it. Okay. So four things on how Christ works according to his, according to his natures. And I hope that these start to give us the why. Okay. The why. All right. So this is where I start to write on the board. Uh, the first thing is this. One thing that we need to understand. Christ, the person, is the one who works. And I was told last week I don't give enough attention to this side of the room. So, um, by my lovely wife. Um, uh, so... Christ, the person, is the one who works. Does that make sense? So what I mean by that is, in other words, he is the agent of his actions. He's the agent of his actions that proceed from him. Okay? Again, and as we have said many times before, all the, the easiest way to say this is, persons act, natures do not. Okay? Persons act. Okay, number two. The two natures the two natures are the principle or principles principles by which that's important by which Okay? Make sense so far? Any questions? What I mean by that, maybe? What it means is the principle by which the agent Christ acts are the two natures. Okay? You would say this way, Richard, that uh, Christ the person is the who. Yes, that's perfect. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm kind of building, I'm, number three, number three, I'll just go number three. Thank you, yes. So, number three, the operation, so, the operation of each action the rest say I'm sorry arises from one of the one of those principles that is that's how I was saying it put it much better than me that is, the human actions arise from the human nature and the divine actions arise from the divine nature. It's the simplest way I know how to say it. Okay? Last thing. The effect of the actions that Christ performs, which depend... I'm not, I'm not going to write this one down. It's too long. I'm sorry. 
Um, the effect of which the actions that Christ performs, so the effect, I'm just going to write that. <coughs> effect of the action that Christ performs, which depends on each corresponding nature, is what we call mediation. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to explain more. I'm going to explain more, but keep that in your mind. So to kind of summarize those points, okay? I'll need to erase. Any questions so far? What? Yeah, question. Okay. okay. Am I oversimplifying or understanding this wrong? So, walking on water, when, he, when Christ walked on water, that was of the divine nature. And I would him, say so, yes. And him, sweating drops of blood in the garden, was his human nature. Yes. Okay. Now, okay, that raises the question, though. What about Peter when he walked on the water? Uh, I would say that's an effect of the miraculous power of God. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. Um, I mean, of course. <laughs> get out of here, John. Yeah, I would attribute that as to like providence and effect or something like that, um, rather than arising out of nature. So that's a great question too. Thank you, John. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just joking. Uh, no. So to kind of summarize all that, summarize those four points. There are two overarching principles of mediation that we need to understand. One is the common. I'll tell you what this means in a minute. And the other, let me go back here, sorry. Um, the proper, okay. And all I mean by the common, the common um, principle of mediation, we just mean the person of Christ, okay. We should, I think we kind of saw that. I'm just, again, summarizing. So what do you think the proper is? Yeah. Okay. Two natures. So in other words, the person of Christ, and this is what we really need to grab onto so that we um, don't become, so don't we, don't we, we don't veer off into some sort of heresy. In other words, the person of Christ performs one action Performs one action, okay, with respect to the principle, one of the natures, or both, with respect to the principle by which he performs that action. So the takeaway here, despite, is, is, is this. Despite out of which nature arises Christ's actions, whether it be primarily one or both, the effect is one, okay, why do you think that is? Huh? Yeah, so this is the agent, right? 
So Christ is the agent or the person. So one person, one essentially to over, kind of oversimplify, one action. Um, and to further, to further kind of uh, help, help us understand this, I think, I, think it's, I think it's proper to say that just to kind of drive home that which arises according to each nature is proper to that nature. So each action that arises is proper to that nature. Um, it helps me to think about um, just cause and effect simply. Okay, and so I was trying to think of an example of this, and the only one that I could think of was like some sort of chemistry example, but just kind of follow me. So if I have a, if I have a pot of water um, on the stove, um, the, the, the nature of the water is waterness to beat water. You know, it behaves like water. So if I heat that water, that's the cause. That water is going to do what? It's going to boil and turn into water vapor. Um, so the cause is in the effect, right? It's natural for the water to become water vapor. You see where I'm going with this? Okay. So it would, be, it would be weird for me to say, though, that if I heated that water as a cause, that it turns into gasoline. That would be, that would be weird. I mean, again, I know it's, it's very rudimentary, but um, I th- that, that helps me think about what's proper to each nature occurs concordantly. So, so with all that in mind, we can say then that there are, again, all these things follow. Um, we can say, pause one second. We can say that there are overall three types of actions that are proper to Christ. You could probably guess what they are at this point. But there are three types of actions that are proper to Christ, or three kinds of actions. The first would be human actions. Okay, that's what we started off with, human. The second... Divine actions, and I, this is what happens. This is, this is how the board is both friend, friend and enemy. Um, divine. And then, what about the third? Mediatory action, that's good, yes. So both divine and human, remember, as one act. Um, so actions proper to both natures would be the third one. So that's the easiest way to say it, I think. But yeah, mediatory. These are called mixed actions, not due to a mixing of the nature, so that's very important. Not due to a mixing of the natures, but mixed actions because the one work arising from the operation of both natures produces a resulting effect that can only be accounted by both of them. Okay? I'm about to. I promise. Um, So this this third one is what I want to focus on for the rest of of Sunday School. Because it is this third category of actions that is required if we are to have a mediator that executes actions proper to such. So I'm about to give some examples here. If we're to have a mediator that executes action proper to such, that is, as a mediator, 
then these are the types of works right here. Does anybody want the fancy term for these actions? Just trying to expand our vocabulary here. <laughs> Called theandric. Theandric. Okay? What does that kind of sound like? <laughs> okay. I'm just making sure everybody is on the same page. Okay, so these are the types of actions that, that must be performed if we're to have a mediator in Christ. Okay? It's fine and well that he can perform actions according to either human or divine, but we need the third. Okay? We need the third. As a prophet, so this is where, the, where, this is where prophet, priest, and king comes in. Listen closely here. As a prophet, he must reveal the Father to us, right? He must declare his will, interpret heavenly things, and inscribe the law upon the heart truly and efficaciously. Yes? Matthew eleven twenty seven, John one eighteen, John six forty five, for example. Okay? To be a prophet, he himself must have things revealed to him. Right? He himself must have things re- revealed to him, which he... W- and w- I, I, my spelling is terrible. Um, which, he, which means that he must assume some form of ignorance. Yes? Okay. So, I, I mean, this might be a little bit speculative, but let me ask this question because I think it proves the point. Why didn't he start his public ministry earlier in his life? He didn't know what to say. He had to grow up in grace and knowledge. Yes. Hmm. Yes, so he had to grow in wisdom and knowledge and in favor with God and men, right? I'm not saying that's the only reason. I don't know, you know, besides providence and due time and all that and all the other stuff. But, yes. Also because to be our priest, you had to be 30 years old. That's, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Those are great. Yeah, thank you. Um, So he assumes some ignorance and reveals those things to us, yet at the same time they are revealed to him because he knows the Father and is in the bosom of the Father, John 1.18. You see the theandric actions going on here? Okay. As priest, as priest... He must make satisfaction to divine justice. He must make satisfaction to which, of course, the debt of that is infinite. Which who could do this? Who could do this but God? And who could accomplish this satisfaction on a cross but man? Who could bear the divine wrath of God and could unite us to him forever but the God-man? Who but God had the power to lay down his life by a voluntary death and yet take it up again in the resurrection? John 10, 18. Who but God and man could function as both priest and victim? Priest and victim, Hebrews 9, 14. And intercede for us 
by his own blood to save his people forever, Hebrews 7.25. Okay? As king, as king, he rules his church and the partakers of his covenant kingdom by the scepter of his word, he sends the Holy Spirit with all gifts, effectually calls, open heart, opens hearts, bruises Satan, places all the enemies of salvation under his footstool, and glorifies his bride, the church. Now, who could do all this except the one furnished with invincible power? God. Okay? Therefore, in whatever manner Christ the mediator is viewed... He must perform this office no less according to the divine than to the human nature. Right? Everybody see this? Therefore, I think, and and that's very brief, but with all these things briefly considered, we see, hopefully, that the principal effects of Christ's mediation, which are redemption, salvation, and, and forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, belong equally to both natures of the person of Christ. Are we starting to see the why? Augustine says it this way, The divinity without the humanity is not mediator, nor the humanity without the divinity But between the divinity and humanity alone, the mediator is human divinity and divine humanity. Okay. I'll end with this, and it comes from our confession. Um, Chapter 8, paragraph 7, affirming everything I think that we just said. Christ, in the work of mediation, acteth according to both natures by each nature doing that which is proper to itself. Yet by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person, denominated by the other nature. Okay? I don't know a better way to say that. But that is... Did I finish on time today? All right. So, are there any questions, clarifications, or comments? Um, so, how do you know, like, how do you know when he's acting in his human or his divine nature? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. isn't he always kind of, since he is hypostatic? Yeah, I decided not to go down that route. So we could. I was talking to Hal about this. About um, really, really, Christ or the person of Christ is his own second cause, if that's the way you know you want to think about it. So, in other words, the. The, the, the humanity of Christ, I'm sorry. The humanity of Christ is his, its own, he creates as secondary cause his own humanity. So in a way, the answer to your question is yes. Um, but as far as just stipulating the actions go, 
um, when we read Scripture like we read in Luke 22, it's easy to see with his walking, eating, drinking, crying. Those are all predicated of what humans do. I had the ability to weep with Mary and Martha. Yeah. Yet had the divine ability to call Lazarus out of the grave. Perfect example. Yep. Perfect example. So, yes, since he subsists in two natures, then, yeah, in a, in a way. So you have a sort of, a, should I say it, divine concurrence. Yeah. How, does, like, him, how does his, sorry, that's too big a question, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, I think it's helpful. Uh, yeah. So think about this way. Y'all remember the 90s when yo-yos were a big thing? Yeah, I do too. It was a great time. Uh, you remember like uh, when there, all the tricks were coming out, like you had uh, the crane cross and then walking the dog and things like that? <laughs> Not to be uh, to downplay it, but think of it this way. The Son of God, the second person of, of the Trinity, He, through uh, by His act of making that secondary cause of the human nature. He was walking the dog, so to speak, down on the floor with us. And so, but it was through his actions, it was through his uh, emotions that the human nature was having the effect by which he could spe- uh, give a spectacle to us and impress us. I think that is an image that might help kind of give a little bit of what's happening here. Is that, uh, I think of Isaiah 10. Uh, I think of Isaiah 10. No, no, no. That's I'd see what you're saying. Um, Isaiah 10. Just briefly. I mean, you, you cannot. You can turn there if you want to, but just real briefly. Um, you know, the uh, God is sending the Assyrians against Judah uh, to punish them, um, and He says explicitly there that He's using Assyria as an axe that chops down a tree. So the one doing the chopping is none other than God. The instrument or instrumental cause of the tree being chopped to the ground is the axe. Okay, and the axe is doing what axes do, doing axe things, chopping things down, acting according to its nature. Um, it's, it's, again, to, be cra- to crassly put it, it's like it's the same with the second person of the Trinity Using as an instrument, and I don't mean as like a puppet, but using as an instrument the human nature to accomplish one divine or one will, if that makes sense, or one action. You know, so yes, like, like again, to answer your question in a probably um, complicated way, yeah, that's kind of how, it, how it's working. That's what I meant by a secondary cause. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's not. It's not hard at all to think about all this. So, <laughs> anyway, it's the best I can do. Anything else? Uh, just one more thing. Um, so these theandric acts—they uh, are both. Can we say that they're? Uh, appropriately predicated to each nature or not? 
the the act is yes the act is and that's why I was trying to make the distinction it's it's the the work terminates in one act arising from the principles that we discussed both natures so when uh, Jesus is up on the Sermon on the Mount and he is actually speaking and we hear his vocal cords we're hearing a human voice or they heard a human voice yes but still at the same time it was God who was speaking Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount is an extended example of Christ acting as prophet and properly interpreting the law as it's being revealed to him. And so when Jesus is up in heaven now, his physical body is there. He is acting as the mediator and as king, as a professional states. He sends forth the spirit because he's God and he is the second person who has eternally spirated mm-hmm. uh, the spirit yes. ever since. But he also does that as our, in his human nature or in his editorial nature, because he is the one who brings it forth, because he has been furnished with those particular gifts mm-hmm. as that mediator due to the resurrection. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, the, it doesn't mean that the actions that arise out of him aren't, that there isn't more than one action, but the action per se is one. So it's important we make that distinction. So it's not like that there's some kind of dualism going on or competition between the natures. So, so maybe a question that we can end on to let y'all go squirm for a little bit, um, because this is good for us to think through. Um, does the divine nature, and it's inappropriate to speak about that, I should say, does God hold the offices according to his divinity of prophet priest? Because typically when we think about it in our circles, we typically think of, oh, well, there's prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, we see parallels or such. And we definitely apply that to, to Jesus just because we know that paradigm. But why, are we, why do we tend to only think of that according to um, the parallels that we see in the Old Testament when it's applied to humans? How will take your answers. Uh, uh, or let, let's just do Exodus because that's 
floods the people, uh, Pharaoh and his entire army, according to his great power. That's a description of his kingly, uh, his kingship. And um, even the fact that he is patient with sin and that he does not consume the people immediately, maybe that shares an aspect of his priestly work, uh, is a priest that has an effect that we would associate with the priestly in goals and speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, because the end goal of uh, a priest was ultimately the, the, the means by which the people would be freed of their sin or that there would be um, the freedom from the accusation of sin uh, or the guilt of sin, etc., etc. Well, in God, how is there a distinction between, you know, wouldn't just be all, all at once? Exactly, yeah, just like but Jesus. He was all at once. Yeah. But all of those are considered mediators of some sort, and so it's not today's lesson exactly showing why, in order to be prophet, priest, and king, he couldn't just be divine. He had to have his humanity. Because he just said that a prophet has to have something revealed to him, and you can't reveal anything to God. God reveals everything. Well, what it's Jesus revealing to others. That's that's the goal of the prophet. You said both, right? Mm -hmm. You said the prophet is has to be revealed to and then revealed to others. Mm -hmm. yeah, so exactly. through Christ, the person God gets those titles. That's true. Absolutely. I don't think he's saying. We can't really say God is like a prophet in like the traditional definition, but exactly. he's still doing the same thing. Yeah, that in exactly the end goal was the effect is that God is revealed, right? Uh, prophet. That God judges his enemies and that he's a uh, has authority over the king, and then third priest that there's the forgiveness of sin. That's the effect of all three of those offices. Does that make sense? What? It does. Uh, see, I want y'all to start. This is good. This is good for us to think through. Can I say something real quick before we Yeah. Um, just so everybody knows, this is not less complicated than my seminar. <laughs> so if you're having a hard time keeping up to it or you're discouraged or you don't understand every single thing, then welcome to the club. <laughs> also just just relax and keep enjoying studying and learning. No, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that's important to keep on. This is not this is this is very complicated and hard to get around. So just yeah. I have to say that. So that we don't forget that that's the case if that's if you're not sure. So to bring it back around, we see hopefully from what's been said the theological necessity of what a mediator is and the union of the two natures. Go on to Hal's question. Yeah. Yeah. If you come away with nothing else today, that's a good thing. Yeah. So the Andrew energies, the Andrew. For whoever prays, I do ask, uh, Brad Wheelis asked that we pray for his daughter Zoe uh, because she's not feeling very well, uh, actually quite sick. So whoever does end up praying, do you mind praying for Zoe Wheeler, um, a sweet little girl who sits uh, right next to her? Little girl, young lady, <laughs> I can pick somebody. Daniel, would you pray for us? Please.
giving you honor. And as we study these things, we, as, as we try to understand more about our great mediator Christ, it just continues to shine forth your glory, Lord, that we can't fully comprehend these things. But yet we acknowledge the truth you've given us and we praise you and adore you for it. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a mediator, that, that we do have someone who is able to sympathize with us, someone who is able to live in the flesh, and yet someone who is also able to be our God, someone who is able to give his blessing upon our lives. So we, we thank you for this study and ask that you would be with our minds um, as we continue to grasp and understanding these things. Lord, I do thank you for your grace as we study these things. Lord, I also pray for Zoe Wheeler and ask that you would be with her